For professional advice with a personal touch, consult Fuller Landau, chartered professional accountants and business advisors. Click on flmontreal.com. Coming up to 706 on Today's Entrepreneur, a program about the entrepreneurial spirit that drives Quebec business. My name is Dan Delmar, along with Fuller Landau's Josh Miller. Good evening, Josh. Hello, Dan. And it's our last episode of the season tonight. It is, and I'm glad to see you back in your chair. Last week was uh, an interesting fun episode or fun show, but happy to see you back in your chair. I'm happy to be here. How how to go with Mike Newton the last time around? Your first time hosting solo, I think. In, the, uh, in six years, as that was the first time, in, right? In, in just about six years, it was. Uh, I guess I somewhat managed okay. I didn't nobody. I didn't hear much afterwards, <laughs> so or not bad afterwards anyways. Sounded great in the car anyway, so uh, thanks for filling in for me, Josh. And uh, let's uh, we'll get to our guests this week, uh, Bridget Federley and Paolo Bassi of Canon Federley. Of course, very familiar to our audience here at CJAD. They're coming up, uh, but first a look at some of the entrepreneurial news in uh, in the headlines in the past week. And uh, let's try w- with, with this story, which I think is kind of interesting because we're seeing the decline of retail in Montreal. We've been talking about it all year long. I mean, mm. it seems like this year is, is, has been pretty bad. And um, the city is catching on to this. So we're seeing uh, they're throwing some money at streets like um, like Prince Arthur, for example. Um, now we have news of uh, of a larger program that's uh, that's going to be about uh, worth forty million dollars, and they're going to give uh, money to entrepreneurs to um, renovate their facades outside, um, you know, beautify commercial districts, things like that. Um, is it is is the retail landscape, Josh, getting so bad that we really need government to intervene at this point? Well. Certainly everybody wants, will always take a helping hand when they need it, especially when it comes with dollars. And the city of Montreal is bringing back their, their pram program. Uh, that was certainly to help storefronts and, and businesses, uh, probably more so in the softer months than anything else, but every dollar will help. And the reality is there's so much, you know, you always hear about the construction. People kind of want to sometimes avoid going downtown or avoiding going to some of the more touristy areas uh, and, and places that are that are usually quite magnificent that are maybe with a few less people because it's that much harder to get to. So I, I believe the city recognizes that. I believe the the, the mayor and the, and the different boroughs recognize and, and listen to some degree anyways to the merchants and the retailers and the business owners and they are trying to make a difference you know it's it it can't be all about take 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 they do have to give a little bit back and the reality is that they give back in the right places it should multiply for them it should create profits it should create businesses that will grow and ultimately businesses that will be able to pay the taxes and uh, and everything else that gets to support this this Montreal network. Why do you think there's so many empty storefronts lately on streets like Saint Laurent, Saint Catherine, Saint Denis? Uh, listen, I, I think uh, there is definitely, we're in an era where people are thinking about where they're spending their dollars and they're not spending it everywhere or as loosely as, as they used to. Now, I still believe to this day that Montreal and Quebec to a degree is a bit of a, a a microclimate when it comes to the economy. You know, people will still shop and they'll you'll still see people walking around with bags, but they just may, might be a little bit more discerning. We are a fashion forward community, uh, notwithstanding what I wear on a day-to-day basis, but we won't go there. Uh, and, and I think that if it's fresh and it's new and it's not 
you know, Georgia Southern, but it's Paris European uh, and it's the right style. And I, I think that's what does great in Montreal. And if it continues to be fresh and it continues to be fashion forward, then the consumers will go back in. And of course, as we keep saying from week to week or periodically, if there's a reason for the consumer to go into the store, if there's, if they answer that, why would you come in, whether it's, you know, a, a socioeconomic reason or a social responsibility, well, that's even more of a reason to go in. Well, hopefully creating more beautiful shopping districts and more uh, pleasant ways to shop will we'll help out with that. So we'll have to see how that goes. Um, we had some bad news uh, with uh, the departure of Target from uh, from Canada, but Walmart is generously stepping in and going to take over uh, many of the various locations uh, that, that uh, the Target left behind in Quebec. And listen, this is this is a case of picking up an opportunity. You know, the Target obviously they they made their decision. They 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 left town, so to speak. Uh, and there are some great opportunities. It's in real estate in Montreal is still fairly cheap, if you will. Uh, there are some great areas. There's still room for growth. And I think Walmart, with its deep pockets, and I would say they're 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 pretty good and pretty shrewd as far as their their retail locations go uh they're picking up the right spots and they can afford it and they're a brand and they at the end of the day the difference between walmart and target at least in this part of the world is that they understand the market where target didn't necessarily understand the market so can walmart pick up these locations understand the market and do even better most probably uh, that includes uh, the location in Point Claire, by the way, uh, another one uh, out west in Candiac, going to turn into Walmart as well. What advice would you have for Walmart in terms of, uh, of, of understanding the Quebec or, or Canadian markets better than Target? Uh, I, it's really tough to give Walmart advice, especially when they're doing so well in, in an area already. It's, it's as you would give any retailer, it's know your audience, know your target, know your customer, but know your customer in your own backyard. Don't know them worldwide. Don't know them globally. Uh, although you can, and you, you attract them because, you know, online and the internet reaches global, but know them in your own backyard. You don't have to merchandise in Montreal the same way you merchandise in South Dakota. You don't merchandise here in Montreal the same way you would merchandise in Eastern Europe. So there's the certainly knowing your customer in your own backyard is is what you, what any retailer has to do. There, there's no question about it. And being opportunistic and taking advantage of certain times where, in these cases, picking up some some premises that Target left behind. That's that's really a lesson for any and every entrepreneur is when there when the time comes when there's opportunistic moments take advantage of them don't be short-sighted and jump when you can because it doesn't happen every day so Quebec has some obviously some uh, some interesting uh, business laws and this one is pretty uh, different which uh, which regulates uh, franchises so it's a court case involving Dunkin Donuts and a franchisee who felt that uh, they were um, basically abandoned by by Dunkin Donuts and so they're suing and uh, apparently Josh there's a Quebec law that um, that stipulates I guess beyond the the franchisee uh, agreement that French that, that the franchise uh, uh, company has to support the franchisee or at least make sure uh, that they are healthy over the long term. Um, can you explain this kind of strange uh, loft to us? Well, I, I won't play lawyer today, but <laughs> certainly based on the article and, and, and most people know that the Quebec legal system is different from the rest of Canada. And most people, of course, are fully aware that uh, the Ke Quebec economy really focuses on the individual, the employee, the little guy, uh, being as socialistic as it is. Uh, and in this case, it, this it really follows that line of thinking. You have Dunkin' Donuts franchisees that, ult that 
had to shut their doors or will ultimately shut their doors. Nobody sees Dunkin' Donuts around anymore. Uh, And they went to court saying, you know what? We bought a franchisee. We bought a product, a service, a name, a brand that the franchisor didn't support enough. We failed not because, you know, we didn't do the right job in, 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 running the franchise, we failed because there wasn't enough big support on your end. There wasn't enough of the push of the marketing of the development of product of the fighting, the, the, the competition. Uh, and, uh, I have to actually believe that they're somewhat correct in that. Now, are these franchisees, you know, a little bit short-sighted that they don't see the, the competition and where, where it's ultimately heading. I'm sure there's a little bit of blame on that end too. And they were, they're kind of hoping that they're going to win from the, from the, the, the big fish that they take to court. But uh, there's no doubt that uh, that the the franchisor, and in any case, you'll see many franchisor, their job is to make sure that their brand stays at the top of the game. And it just didn't happen with Dunkin' Donuts. And uh, finally, the co-founder of BlackBerry, Jim Balsili, our our hero, uh, he now... Your, your hero. Well, my, I like the product, but hey. I, I, I like the product too. It's so far so good. But um, he says that uh, that Canadians have the power to innovate. We just don't have the power to, to actually win these big battles, like in the smartphone market, for example. Do, do you think he has a point to that? And, and what could the government be doing more to encourage innovation? I think... Uh, I'll answer your first question first. And, and I think Canada... We have to recognize we're a huge country. Landmass is, 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 is monstrous. But we're such a small business community by comparison to everywhere else, we'd be foolish to think that we carry this huge business power on a worldwide scale. And I think that's what he's essentially saying. He's saying, Canada, you're small potatoes. If somebody wants to come in and crush you, they're going to come in and crush you. You're, you know, there, there's so many large U.S companies, European companies, Chinese companies. So that's just it. Now, what can government do to help? I think they're trying to do things in their own way, but there's only so much that any government can do to protect from outside the borders. Uh, that that's It's just not possible. Today's Entrepreneur on CJAD. Coming up next, Bridget Federley and Paolo Bassi of Canaan Federley, our last profile of the season on Today's Entrepreneur at 7.15. Inspiring stories from outstanding business people, Dan Delmar and Fuller Landau's Josh, with, Josh Miller with you on Today's Entrepreneur for our last episode of the season. And our profile this evening, Josh, a, a family business that is very, very well known for uh, to CJD's audience. So they've been advertising on CJD for well over a quarter century now. Uh, Bridget Federley and Paolo Bassi are here of Canaan Federley funeral home in NDG. Uh, Bridget Paolo, welcome to CJD. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. Thank you for having us. So uh, everyone knows your business, but uh, the standard question is uh, just tell us a little bit about uh, Canaan Federally, how long you've been in business, and uh, and, well, I guess we know what you do, but uh, tell us about why you do it differently, maybe. Okay, so we're a full-service funeral home. So we're there for families before the funeral, during the funeral, and after the funeral. Um, We... um, do for like before the funeral we'll be uh, helping people with their pre-arrangements so planning their funeral wishes before the funeral takes place we're also um, wanting to educate people so we do a lot of seminars in the community to help people make wise decisions obviously during the funeral we're there for them to help them um, if they have cremation wishes burial wishes if they want to be repatriated back to their homes so we do all of that and after the funeral, we're there to help them with the paperwork and if they need grief counseling and um, just help the process a lot go a lot smoother for them. Um, we're not there to settle estates, but we're there to get them organized so they're able to settle the estate. It sounds, I mean, it's, it's very complete. It's an A to Z kind of service offering. 
in your history, I mean, Kane and Federley has been around 50 years. I mean, we hear right, the we're celebrating the time. 50 years. Yes. Happy birthday. Thank you. Uh, Thank you. And, uh, and has it always been such a huge realm of services or has that developed over the years? Um, I have to say in the past, we were more, I would say funeral homes were more order takers. Um, we really dealt with the family would come in and we, you know, go to church, have the service in the funeral home, choose the casket, and that was about it. Um, now it's a completely different ball game. We're event planners is what we are. Um, and uh, we're very happy to be in, in, in that shoe because it's more creative. Um, we're there to make a good experience for the family and to do whatever they want to see happen as long as it's legal. Did you, uh, Paolo, you wanted to add to that? Yes, and also I have to say that uh, the, the way we interact with, uh, with people, with families, with the consumer has changed over the years also because of the Internet revolution. And what happens, um, you know, the, uh, the, the decision maker is um, before even they, they think of calling us, they are on, on the web seeking for information. So it's it's important to be prepared and offer user useful information before they approach us. So that's why uh, one of the missions we have, like Bridget said, is to educate the people before they even uh, uh, approach the funeral home. And there's no doubt it's a difficult time at the best of circumstances. So your your presence and your education is huge. So when we come back from the break, kind of we'll take it back you know, the 50 years or maybe not that long, but maybe, and figure out, you know, what happened at the beginning and, and your first few days on the job. Bridget Federley and Paolo Bassi of Canaan Federley with us this evening on Today's Entrepreneur. Back on Today's Entrepreneur with Bridget Federley and Paolo Bassi of Canaan Federley Funeral Homes and NDG, an institution Josh that's uh, been there for, for decades and uh, certainly part of the CJD family here for a while. Um, let's talk about the, the other part of the business, actually, Canaan Federley. So we know the Federley obviously comes from your family, Bridget, but where does the, where does the cane come from? Well, my father um, was actually a second generation uh, funeral director, so I'm the third generation. And his father had uh, two funeral homes, one in Point St. Charles, and that's where my father grew up, and another one on uh, the lakeshore. Um, my grandfather sold his businesses, and my father then purchased Kane and Federley. At the time, it was called Thomas Kane Funeral Home. He purchased it from Mr. Kane in 1965. He decided to keep the Kane name because people already knew Thomas Kane in the community. He had a good reputation, and my father was basically starting from scratch. So that's how that came about, but they actually never worked together. Now, when did you enter the business? Well, that was a surprise um, because I actually never studied to be in this type of business. It was a second career for me. I was uh, a graduate of art history from McGill, and then I went on to get another degree in interior design. And so I was on a total different path. Uh, when my father decided to expand his business and renovate it, um, I jumped in to help him with that. At the time, he had a, a girl going back to school to study psychology. So I asked if I could maybe work for the year while she was away. And uh, she never came back, and I enjoyed the business, so I stayed mm -hmm. on. Now, you, your father had been doing this for many years. You came from a completely different background. Your styles must have been a little bit different. Oh, completely different. <laughs> <laughs> I was definitely the more creative one, uh, less business-like. Um, and, uh, well, my father had all the business experience, um, but it, it worked well together. 
Now, did you work side by side for a number of years or at what point did kind of the shift yeah. go from, from him to you? So I joined around 93, 94, and uh, my father passed away in 98. So mm. I did work with him for a few years, um, but then uh, quickly, well, took over. Now, he passed away, I, I presume, a little bit premature, like you right. weren't necessarily expecting it. So you had to fill certain shoes pretty quickly. Yes, um, with no business experience, um, I was uh, pretending I had it for a couple of years after he had passed away. Um, but thankfully, I had I was surrounded by a very good team. Um, have to say, our employees have been with us for many years, and uh, I became I went from employee to boss overnight, and uh, the employees really helped me out, and uh, I'm very grateful to them. Did you find you had to gain a new level of respect going from employee to boss? Was that was that difficult at any stretch or they were they were just really a compassionate group and and figured it out they were an extremely compassionate group i think it was more myself that was struggling i was struggling uh, with whether or not i had the competence to do this um, also uh, what we didn't say is that uh, i did get married in 97 just a year before my father passed away and my husband joined the team and he had more business experience than I did because he worked in marketing in uh, the textile industry in Italy and uh, so he was able to ha to help with that aspect of the business it's uh it's difficult taking over a business under normal cir circumstances but this is a very specific business very sensitive business obviously mm -hmm. when it comes to clients um with uh taking over a funeral home what were some of the uh, the biggest challenges uh, you think uh, uh when you when you took over uh, is it the the interaction with customers that has to be extra sensitive the some of the technicalities of the business what was the most difficult for myself uh it came to me naturally to be with the families um, we often say, I mean, Paolo and I are a husband and wife team in this business. Um, I'm more affective and he's more effective. Um, and so that's why it works well together. So I didn't have any challenges in terms of, of being with the families. That comes to me very naturally. Um, but uh, in terms of being effective, that's where my challenge was. But I depended on my husband to help me out with that. And it's certainly, you know, husband and wife working together is, is not always easy, but it seems to work out well. So when we come back after the break, we'll hear from Paolo and, and his experience as he first came into the business. Bridget Federley and Paolo Bassi of Canaan Federley Funeral Homes are profiled this evening on today's Entrepreneur, our last edition of the season at 7.30. Welcome back to Today's Entrepreneur, presented by Fuller Landau, a program about the entrepreneurial spirit that drives Quebec business. My name is Dan Delmar, along with Fuller Landau's Josh Miller. On our final episode of the season, we're back in September here on CJAD, uh, but our final t uh, uh, profile of uh, some amazing Montreal entrepreneurs, and this evening, uh, some names that are familiar perhaps to our CJAD audience. They've been an advertiser here for, for decades now on the station. Uh, Bridget Federley and Paolo Bassi of Canaan Federley Funeral Homes, of course, are located on uh, Sherbrooke and NDG. Uh, Bridget Paolo, no. um, just just to let you know, it's located on DeCarry. DeCarry and, and, and Isabella. Isabella. I'm Isabella. sorry about that. Other funeral. That's an, I'm thinking of another one. Sorry about that, Bridget. <laughs> uh, but uh, tell me first. Uh, <laughs> terribly sorry with the confusion, but um, do you? It, it is a very serious business, of course. It's a very it's a very uh, touchy business when when it comes to clients. Do you ever have? Uh, do you, do you find that the time during the day away from clients to to laugh a little bit, take things more lightly? Well, we uh, we certainly do, and uh, I think we consider ourselves normal people. I mean, uh, we have 
a job where the the emotional involvement is uh, is uh, is big part of our work but maybe that's why we need, we need to to laugh and uh, try to to have fun together with friends like uh, everybody does now paolo you you came in you came from italy you you know right just before that uh, that bridget's father passed away yes um what were some of the biggest challenges for you and not only in this new marital relationship i don't want to go there so you don't have to please don't go there uh <laughs> but certainly getting into to the business working working side by side with your wife in a in a brand new domain it wasn't textiles it wasn't tell yes, us I had uh, a briefly few, about I had that. a few challenges um first i had the personal uh, personal challenges i mean uh even um first of all languages the language was a barrier and in quebec then you have two languages so uh which i didn't find fair because for <laughs> you have to learn double uh then uh, was a challenge even uh, at the beginning to find my way around the city and uh, and then the professional challenges i had some business background uh, experience in uh, in italy but was in a different domain uh and uh so one of the big challenges was uh also to gain acceptance and respect from uh, from the employees because i was coming from a different country less not much experience uh, and uh, our employees were working in in the industry have been working for many years so that was uh, was challenging and i think i was able to overcome my challenges by with hard work dedication to the family business and also when i started was uh 98 and 99 so we were at the dawning of uh, the internet revolution and uh i was uh, self taught and i built the first mm -hmm. website of the company so that was uh, a big achievement uh, that i managed to accomplish for uh, for Ken and Federley and, and and i think that's awesome because you know certainly websites back then you know 16 years ago weren't exactly what they are today and the the marketing arm and the marketing efforts uh, that go along with it was very different back then too so i kind of want to jump into the marketing side of it mm -hmm. and and kind of maybe bridget from the early days to to maybe paolo today what's been the major differences or or maybe what's been the most consistent in in what works okay well definitely in the past and what continues today is community involvement, being in the community, um, volunteering, uh, fundraising, um, going to spaghetti dinners, uh, just being with people and enjoying being with people. I mean, that hasn't changed. Um, being involved in clubs, um, like social clubs, uh, for instance, the Kiwanis group, uh, things like that. Uh, you still need to do that. Um, but what's uh, changed considerably, Paolo can talk on, I mean, is, is social media. Yes, yeah, social media is, uh, has been a challenge, and I think for many people. And uh, I think uh, one of the uh, uh, one of my, my piece of advice would be when you are uh, uh, faced with a challenge like that, uh, you you cannot just stand still. You have to to jump into the pool and try to follow the change and embrace the changement. And social media is just uh, I consider a different uh, way. Uh, of communication so and as i said before families and uh, consumers are interacting with uh, with us uh, in different ways it's not anymore the phone it's uh, face they check facebook they check on the website if we have reviews 
They check your YouTube channel, so you are there or you're not. Now, uh, Bridget, you mentioned early on in the program about education. You know, part of your part of what you're trying to do is educate the consumer, educate the public. Uh, how are you doing that? Where? What are you trying to educate? What are you trying to to teach them to to train them to to do? And and how are you doing it? Is that do you see that as a marketing effort? Yes, I do. And um, the reason this came about, I mean, we do seminars. And they're free to the community. And the reason we started doing this was because we saw all the problematics after the funeral. Um, the people who didn't have wills, um, the people who didn't have life insurance, the people who, they were just completely disorganized and it created a lot of headache and stress for families. So I said, we've got to do something about this and we've got to try to reach some people and tell them, please, you've got to get organized before because just to give your family peace of mind. So that's when we started uh, doing these series and we invite people to come with us like notaries and lawyers and financial advisors just to try to educate people and help them make wise decisions and be in control. Now, there's no doubt that the team that surrounds you also has to have some of this knowledge and, you know, the empathy aside, they have to also give guidance and whatever. Now, your, your team around you that you say you've been, you've had for quite a number of years, uh, how... How do you find them and, and what do you look for when you're hiring somebody? In I, your field, I mean, yes. you got, they got to be compassionate, but they got to have a few other characteristics. Yeah. Well, they're, I mean, it depends for what job description. So if the person is an embalmer, obviously they have to have a degree. They have to have a, a, a diploma. People you know. skills might be a little less important at that stage. Well, yeah. in a smaller business, however, they're not only doing that, right? So they're still meeting with people. They're still directing funerals. So they're doing a little bit of everything. So they still do need people skills. Um, they're also, um, it's important that, you know, when we're meeting with a family, sometimes the family has questions about their job and mm. what's happening. So they have to be able to interact with the families and it becomes a very delicate conversation sometimes. So yes, they need people skills. Um, the rest of the people that we hire, um, I really look for compassion. I'm not looking at the diploma to start with. Um, I'm looking to see if the person will be able to relate to people, will be have intuition, uh, will be creative, um, will be a good listener. So all those types of qualities. The diploma may come after, but it's not the most important thing for me. Character before skill. Mm -hmm. That's right. And, uh, you know, when you're, when they're dealing with, like, do you have to train them? Do you, do, do you, how close do you monitor them? How close do you, or how often do you get together to kind of plan together and, and hear just in the, in our last remaining moments before we get to break, how involved do you get your team? You know, are you kind of directing traffic dictator or is it really everybody talking? Well, actually we, um, I have to say that we try to get our team uh, involved uh, and uh, make them a part of um, our uh, vision and also it's important that uh, they they share our uh, our goal to uh, our commitment to give the best possible service to families and in order to do that i mean it takes uh, some some qualities and as brigitte said you have it or you're not so the other important thing is uh, to make your team a part of the change because the change, things are changing outside. So you have to involve them and make them understand why we are moving in a certain direction. And that's the key to me because otherwise they will not follow you. And you sorry, and you also need to take their suggestions. So you need to listen to your staff. I mean, we're, we're good listeners and we, we love taking their suggestions and, and, and running with them. 
Bridget Federley and Paolo Bassi of Canaan Federley Funeral Home with us this evening on Today's Entrepreneur. After the break, HR specialist Michel Mayette will come by and talk about human resources. So that's on the way. But first, 745. Today's Entrepreneur on CJAD 800, inspiring stories from outstanding business people. Dan Delmar and Fuller Landau's Josh Miller with you for our final episode of the season. And this evening, Bridget Federley and Paolo Bassi with us from Canaan Federley Funeral Home. And we also welcome Michelin Mayette back, HR specialist with Fuller Landau. Welcome back, Michelin. Hi. And uh, Josh some pretty interesting challenges I'm sure in the funeral business when it comes to HR well and it's not only that but certainly you know employees every day and and the the entrepreneur has to deal with their you know their their complement of people and the employees go through some tough times and some grievances so I, I guess let's start off Michelin about what employers what entrepreneurs should know like if, if one of their you know if one of their employees is going through a tough time or difficult what's maybe some of the things they should think about uh, when dealing with them yeah, in uh, Quebec, there there are like a, there is a, a law basically that employers have to give employees a certain amount of time if uh, there is a death in there within their immediate family. It's not a lot of time. I mean, if it's um, a very close family member, so like a child, a husband, a parent, sibling, um, you the employees are entitled to five days off, of which only one is paid. Now, if it's um, a slightly less immediate family member, so like a grandparent, grandchild, or in-law, um, they're only entitled to one day unpaid. So, and these days have to be taken between the death and the funeral. So it's not a lot of time. I mean, at least it, it it's supposed to give them time basically to plan the funeral and attend it. That's really what it's there for. So there's no time extra time for grieving or anything. There's a few special circumstances where there where there's more time that could be available if it's, a, for example, a suicide or if it's a result of a criminal act, the law does give more time. But in most cases, like five days is the max. So, you know, it really depends on the type of company, but obviously the more time you can give an employee, depending how much time they, they need, you know, I think the best it is so, to show your support for this employee's difficult situation. And I guess if you're if you're fortunate enough or you have the foresight to have created a an employee policy manual, which probably not enough entrepreneurs and not enough uh, companies do, then it's something you absolutely have to consider to put in there so that everybody gets treated the same way. Yeah, basically, if you don't have a written policy, then you would fall back on what's in the norms travail. So the minimum labor standards is what. I guess the policy would be, but a lot of employers do give more time than what uh, than what the minimum is. And so in that case, yes, it would be a good idea to have a clear policy just to make sure that you treat all of your employees equitably. Now, what about, because we're, you know, kind of leads to days off that employees take and whatever. Mm-hmm. What other, I mean, days off or, you know, for sick, for, for, you know, depression, for what have you, you know, and all the, all these fun topics that we're talking about, but, you know, employees mm-hmm. certainly can go through certain, certain issues, certain personal issues. Uh, maybe what are the things that, that, um, that employers should kind of be on the lookout for? Yeah. Well, I mean, sick days, a lot of employees are actually surprised sometimes that there's no obligation for an employer to pay any sick days at all. So any sick days, there's no legal requirement. They can all be unpaid if the employer chooses. A lot of employers obviously do have some paid sick days, so that's really their own choice. A lot of employers are surprised that employees are actually entitled to up to 26 weeks per 12-month period in sick time, unpaid sick time, but up to 26 weeks per 12-month period that they can actually take, if need be, to deal with an illness. 26 weeks. Per 12-month period, yes. To deal with a major illness. Usually it's a I major illness. So. but Unpaid, I guess. Unpaid. 
Yeah. Interesting. Lots of rules to follow. And uh, when we come back after the break, we'll talk a little bit, maybe a little bit more about what happens when the employee abuses the system or how do you kind of, what kind of feedback or monitoring should, should come into play. We'll also have Bridget Federley and Paolo Bassi's one piece of advice for today's entrepreneur. That's next. 7.56 7.56 on today's Entrepreneur. Our guests this evening, Bridget Federley and Paolo Bassi of Canaan Federley Funeral Home and Mission Mayette is here, HR specialist uh, with Fula Landau to talk about human resources. And we were talking about, you know, the sick days or dealing when an employee is, uh, as you know, grief in the family or something stricken and, and what are the rules required. But, do you, you know, and certainly with sick days and what happens if an employee starts to abuse sick days? You know, they kind of fake it. At what point does the employer kind of lose the benefit of the doubt and say, well, maybe they've got to start bringing in a doctor's note or like, you know, how, how on top of it uh, should you stay? Yeah, I mean, employers can definitely request um, a medical note. Unfortunately, you know, we all know that every time you have a cold or you can't work for whatever reason, you're not necessarily going to ask a medical note for that one day. But if it's, you know, a day every Friday in the summer when it's sunny out, (laughs) then maybe, you know, if there's a pattern, there's a reason why you're going to want to ask for a medical note for every absence, you can do so. So that's that's not a problem. And obviously for any more longer term sick leave, then in that case, normally there would be more of a follow-up with the employee where they're submitting medical notes. If the employer offers short-term or long-term disability, then it's also with the insurance company that will help you uh, manage that and manage any potential return to work. Don't let it go by the wayside. I mean, treat it right away. Yeah. Because if, if you, uh, uh, is it possible if you don't deal with an issue right away, you, you know, they take X amount of sick days per year, mm-hmm. you let it go for a year and a half, could the employee deem it to be, hey, well, that's just normal and that's what my entitlement is? Yeah, 100%. I mean, you you set a certain expectation. When you don't say anything, a lot of people think it's because it's okay. You know, they always say no news is good news. So if I keep missing and my employer's not saying anything, then it's probably because it's not a problem. So yeah, definitely you want to be on top of that type of thing, especially if there's a repetitive nature to it. But it's also okay if it's not you personally sick, the employee could have, you know, their child or their spouse sick and, you know, it's mm-hmm. not them, but they have to take care of them. So I presume that does that also fall into their sick days? Yeah, no, it doesn't fall under their sick days. There's um, 10 days per year, again, unpaid, that an employee can miss work uh, for not just for their child being ill, but also could be for their education, for their care, or it could be for, you know, again, a parent uh, or spouse for their sick time. Excellent. Thank you, Micheline. And as we approach our last moment of the show, we'll turn to Paolo and Bridget and uh, ask you each, what would be your one piece of advice for today's entrepreneur? My piece of advice would be no matter what your education always do something you're passionate about. You spend most of your life at work. Your passion will most definitely contribute to your success uh, because people are attracted to a business that has strong convictions. Excellent, Paolo. And my piece of advice would be uh, as a business owner or manager to embrace the change and to listen to your staff because only this way you can build a good team and uh, your customers will benefit from it. Excellent. And uh, Dan, my quick takeaway is this one word that's popping in my head, listening to your whole story, and it's called dedication. And, you know, after so many years in such a, such a, not an easy industry, there's no question, it takes an absolutely dedicated entrepreneur to make a success out of it. And we certainly see that with Bridget and Paolo. Bridget Federley and Paolo Bassi of Canaan Federley, thank you both so much for stopping by CJD this evening. We thank you. We thank you. And Michelle Mayette of Fuller Landau, thanks as well. Thanks. And uh, Josh, another season in the books, uh, our sixth season of Profiling Entrepreneurs here on CJD. We'll be back in September. 
Absolutely, Dan. Looking forward to it. And I wish you a great summer. And all the entrepreneurs out there, make the most. Take your opportunities. Make the most of them. Thanks very much, Josh. We'll see you in September. Don't forget to check them out at flmontreal.com.